0: All right, are you ready for the word today? Is anybody else ready for the word today? (laughs) We're excited to get into what God's speaking to us today. This week and next week, we're going to be talking about free of charge, paid in full. Free of charge, paid in full. We sang about the blood of Jesus today, had a word about the blood of Jesus today. I want you to know that there's power in the blood, and that blood has paid the price for our sins. We are free of charge, it's been paid in full because of what Jesus did on the cross. So we're going to look at that today. So get your sermon notes out and get your Bibles out so you can follow along with us, your iPods, pads, droids, whatever you use to look at the Bible. Open them up to Luke chapter 7. Woo! Luke chapter 7. Free of charge, paid in full. I'm going to start reading Luke chapter 7, verse 36. If you're ready, it says, Then one of the Pharisees asked him to eat with him. And he went to the Pharisee's house and sat down to eat. I want to talk to you in verse 36 about the importance of an invitation. An invitation. You see that the Pharisee, a Pharisee is a religious leader. This was like a, a church leader, maybe for back then. You might be able to make that, that connection. A Pharisee was a religious leader. There was a These were the top people of the religious law, the leaders of the religious law. They knew the law, which was the Torah, the first five books of the Bible. They knew them all better than anyone else. They were, they were very uh, uh, influential in the church, in the, in the synagogues. And so this one Pharisee invited Jesus over to his house. And I want you to see the importance of this invitation, The invitation when he was asked to come into his house, there's something about inviting Jesus into your situation, inviting him into your house. This invitation that this Pharisee put out, Jesus wants to come into people's lives, wants to come into your situation, wants to come into your life and make a difference, but he needs to be invited. He's not going to force himself on your situation. Jesus sometimes is just waiting for you to invite him. We're like, man, I'm going through all these troubles. I got all these stresses. I got, what am I going to do? What am I going to do? And the whole time, Jesus is just saying, invite me over. Just have me come over. Because when I come into your house, I begin to make things different. So sometimes all we need to do is invite him. And people say, well, if God, God knows what I'm doing, he ought to be coming in here. He will come in if you invite him. So the Pharisee invites Jesus over. It's important to have an invitation, but sometimes when Jesus goes over to the Pharisee's house, you know, going, going into somebody's house, it's, it's got, Jesus does it because he wants to make an impact on the house, and, and sometimes he goes to places that not everybody approves of. Sometimes he hangs out with some people that not everybody approves of. You guys remember the story of Zacchaeus? Zacchaeus uh, was the guy who climbed up in a tree that, because he couldn't see Jesus, and And so Jesus comes by and he says, hey, Zacchaeus, come down because today I want to go to your house. I want to go to your house. And so he goes over to Zacchaeus' house. And the Bible doesn't talk a lot about what was said at Zacchaeus' house, but says that he went over there. But I know that something happens when you invite Jesus into your house, into your life, into your situation. Something changes because something changed in Zacchaeus. He was invited over, and when he came into Zacchaeus' house, we don't know what was said, but we know what the results were because Zacchaeus said this. He said, hey, Lord, listen, uh, uh, I don't know what's, what's going on here, but... If, if I have taken anything from anybody unrighteously or if I've stolen anything from anybody, I'm going to give back to them four times what I took from him. Because he's a tax collector and he used, to take, he used to collect taxes and he would add a personal percentage on. So he was getting rich off of people. And he said, you know, whatever I've taken from you, I will pay them back four times. So something happened where Zacchaeus changed. And it's all because he got invite Jesus was invited into his home so he went into his house and and I thought this about Zacchaeus I'm like well Lord why didn't you just pray for Zacchaeus right there instead of going to his house I, I believe there's something to that that Jesus wants you to know when you invite him into your house into your situation into your everyday life it's not just about church services God doesn't want you just to invite him into your church life he wants you to invite him into your whole life he doesn't want to be in your Sunday life only. He wants to be in your, your Monday through Saturday life. And he wanted to go and he wanted to hang out with Lazarus. He said, I want to be a part of your everyday life, not just one day a week. So he came into his life and, and had that dramatic impact. And so the invitation is important. You know, in, uh, Jesus was invited over to his house. But I want you to know the second part. The invitation is important, but the invitation is bigger than just the individual. Because Zacchaeus, he went to Zacchaeus' house, but it wasn't just for Zacchaeus. And here's another story of another guy who invited Jesus over to his house, a guy by the name of Matthew. The Bible calls him Levi, this is one of the 12 disciples. But the Bible tells us that Levi invited Jesus over to his house. He invited him over to his house, and the Bible talks about who was hanging out at Matthew's house. He said that there were many tax collectors and sinners also that sat together with Jesus and his disciples, for there were many, and they followed him. And when the scribes and the Pharisees saw him eating with the tax collectors and sinners, they said to his disciples, how is it that he eats and drinks with tax collectors and sinners? Well, when Jesus heard it, he said to him, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick, I did not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Notice the power of the invitation. It's not just about the individual, but Jesus wanted to go to Matthew's house because he knew who else hung out with Matthew. And here's what happens. When you invite Jesus into your house, he wants to come into your life because he's not just wanting to touch you, but he's wanting to touch your circle of influence. He knows there's a bunch of people that you hang out with that other people don't hang out with. And he says, if you'll invite me into your house, I'm going to not only change you, but I want to spill over and touch all the people that you're associated with. He wasn't just after one tax collector and one sinner. He was after all of them. He says, I didn't come just for the righteous. I come for the sinner. I come for those that are far from God. And that's what this invitation is about. This Pharisee invited Jesus over to his house, but Jesus is never just worried about the righteous. He also wants to let him know that he's focused on those that are far from God as well. He comes to seek and to save that which is lost. So, so here's the, the, the example. Jesus goes to Zacchaeus' house and Matthew's house. Why? Because he wanted to go where they are. So here's one of the things that we need to recognize, if we're gonna be followers of Jesus, why we need to invite Jesus into our life, into our every situation, because in your everyday life, in your everyday situation, there's gonna be people around you that God's wanting you to impact. When Jesus went to Zacchaeus' house and Matthew's house, they didn't affect him, they didn't influence him, but he influenced them. He hung out with the tax collectors and sinners and the religious people were like, what are you doing hanging out with all those sinners? Well, the reason he's hanging out with sinners is because sinners didn't influence him. He influenced them. Right. He was the change agent. So here's the thing you need to understand in a relationship. Whether it's a romantic relationship or whether it's uh, just a friend relationship, you are one of two people. You're either the influencer or the influencee. You're either the influencer or the influencee. You're one or the other. So if you're in a relationship, a romantic relationship with somebody that's not a follower of Jesus and you are a follower of Jesus, in that relationship, you're going to either influence them or they're going to influence you. And if it's been two years and they're no closer to Jesus than they were when you started, guess who's being changed? You are and you don't even know it because you're one or the other. If you're not changing them, then you're being changed. There should be an influence in your relationship. And this is why Jesus had no problem hanging out with people that were sinners because he knew that he was going to have an impact on their life. And this is what we need to do. We need to invite people into our life because we're going to influence them. We need to make sure we're able to do that, be strong enough. So he did that with Zacchaeus and Matthew. But what happens when you invite Jesus into your situation? It's bigger uh, than the individual, but it, it also makes an impact. The invitation leads to an impact. When you invite Jesus in, he makes a difference. Here's what Revelation 3 says. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and dine with him and he with me. Here's what Jesus is doing every day of your life. Hello, hello, will you let me in? Will you let me into your situation? Will you let me into your life? He wants to come in because he knows when he comes in, he's going to make a difference on the inside. He's knocking, he's knocking. All he's waiting is for someone to open the door. Say, come on in, come on in, come into my financial situation. You're stressed out. What am I going to do? What am I going to do about this job? What am I going to do about that relationship situation? I don't know what to do. Jesus said, hey, hey, while you're staying up all night losing sleep, why don't you invite me in? Why don't you pray and ask me to help you? Why don't you invite me to give you some wisdom? Why don't you invite me to give you my perspective, Bill, to see it through my eyes? That's the power of impact when we invite him in. So this is what's happening here. He comes in. Let's go back to our story here in Luke chapter 7. One of the Pharisees asked him to eat with him. Look, verse 37, and behold, a woman in the city <laughs> who was a sinner. That's all she's known by. When she knew that Jesus sat at the table in the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster flask of fragrant oil. Now we saw in verse 36, this is a party. The Pharisees are having a party there. They brought, the the Pharisee's hanging out with all of his friends. You know, he invited Jesus over to his house. So you, you know who's hanging out at a Pharisee party. That's Pharisee's circle of influence. This is just church people. You know, just a bunch of church people getting together. They're wanting to debate about the law. They're wanting to talk about scripture. They're just wanting to debate Jesus and talking about that. So that's all that's there. And then verse 37, we got a party crasher. We got an uninvited guest. She's not invited to a religious party. (laughs) She's not on the guest list of a religious party. She crashes the party. She comes in because the Bible says here that she's just a sinner. Now, it doesn't say what type of sinner. Some people have assumed that she was a prostitute. She could have been a prostitute, but it doesn't specifically say she's a prostitute. All the word sinner there means is somebody who habitually is sinning. They're living a lifestyle of sin. They're just doing whatever it is. So this is what she was known for. She was, she was a sinner in the eyes of the religious people. But, but she, So she comes in she crashes the party. Mind you, make sure we understand that she would not be going to this house unless Jesus was there. It says that when she knew that Jesus sat at the table, she came. When she knew that Jesus sat at the table, I began to meditate. I was thinking about that. When she knew that Jesus sat at the table, when she knew that Jesus. So I'm like, okay, she's not going to go to that house unless Jesus is there. Jesus is eating there. Jesus is hanging out there. If Jesus is going to be there, I want to go. So then I, I had this thought. A Pharisee's house, a religious leader's house a house for a religious leader let's make the comparison that maybe that house religious leader's house could also be the church the church so now this woman would have stayed away from the pharisee's house unless jesus was there then this thought came to my mind how many people that's far from god are staying away from the church because jesus is not sitting at the table how many people's not donning the doors of a church because jesus is not sitting there It's just a social gathering of a bunch of elitists that want to debate over theology and not really want to love people into the goodness of God. How many people staying away from church because they have a perceived notion that they're not invited? They have an idea that they're not welcome because they're not in that circle. How many people staying away from church because somehow the church has put on an air that you're not good enough to come here? I'm just thinking. I'm just thinking off the top of my head. So she said, she shows up, she shows up, and, and she, she crashes this party, and she goes in there, and, and look what she does. Verse 37, she brought an alabaster flask of fragrant oil, so she comes into this, this church service, if you will, this meeting of religious people. How many knows when she shows up, everybody knew that she showed up, <laughs> right? It's one of those moments where, you know, you're, you're, everybody's there having a good time, and And all of a sudden, this lady just walks in. And you know who the lady is. This is a sinner. She walks in carrying an alabaster flask of fragrant oil. So, you know, their question is probably like, "Uh, what's she doing with the oil? What's she doing with that? And so notice what it says. She comes and I like it says. She stood at Jesus' feet. She stood at his feet behind him. Now, you got to get this picture because I used to think, you know, they're sitting eating. How does she stand at his feet? It's like she under the table? But she's behind him, she under the chair? But then I, then I did some studying, I understood that in Eastern culture, they didn't sit down to eat like we do. At the time of this, and you may not be able to see in the back, but, but they, they used to lay down and eat. So they, they would get, they would be on like a couch or something and they would, they would lay down like this and they would eat in front of them so their feet were behind them. Or they might lay at least on their side like this. You know they're eating? and and his feet would be behind. So she came, and she stood at his feet behind him. You got the picture now? So she comes up behind him, and they're they're eating in front. She comes up behind because she's not worthy to be at the front. So she comes at his feet. She stands in there behind him. And and she came in carrying this alabaster flask of oil. And I'm like, man, Lord, what is that about? And he just wanted me to make sure and see that she came to this Church service, this gathering of religious people, she came prepared to worship. She came on a mission. She brought her own oil. She brought her own oil to the church service. She didn't come wondering if worship was going to happen, she didn't come to see if they were going to worship. She came prepared to worship. So God was speaking to me, he said, listen, you need to come ready to worship me. She stood at his feet. She wasn't there for the Pharisees, she wasn't there for anybody else. She came to one place for one person. So I'm just asking you, who are you coming to church to see? Who are you coming for? Are you coming for people? Are you coming to stand at his feet? Have you brought your own oil or are you waiting to see if they got their oil? You bring your own oil and you worship God from your heart. She got to come prepared. You know, you don't come and say, well, let's wait and see which songs that they sing. This woman didn't come like that. She came bearing her oil. She said, I don't know what they're going to do, but I came ready to worship. I got my oil. Worship's going to happen even if it's just me and Jesus. That's what he's telling us. You can't come and say, well, boy, it's kind of dead. Well, then bring your own oil. Don't let people bring you down. You bring them up. Be the influencer, not the influencee. When you come in to worship Jesus, and again, whether it's your collective in a corporate setting or whether it's your home, you're like, well, I just can't worship at home. Bring your own oil. Carry it with you everywhere you go. That oil represents the Holy Spirit. She had her oil ready. She had it ready to worship. So she came prepared to worship, and look what her worship consisted of. This may not be your worship. But this was hers. I'm going to break down what she did. Verse 38, so she stood at his feet behind him, and she started weeping. She stu- started weeping. Now, when you're weeping, this is a sign of brokenness. When you're worshiping Jesus, if you're going to give your life to Jesus, you've got to recognize one thing. You've got to recognize he's Lord and you're not. You know, one of the biggest hurdles to some people serving Jesus is they won't kick themselves out of the driver's seat. That was my biggest hurdle for a long time. I wouldn't make him Lord. I wanted to go to heaven. Everybody wants to go to heaven. You say, hey, you want to go to heaven? Yeah, <laughs> I want to go to heaven. Absolutely. You ready to make Jesus Lord of your life? Eh. Like him make all the decisions? See, weeping is a sign of brokenness that she was saying to him, You are Lord. I am not. Who she was, was willing to be broken. The Bible says it this way in Psalm 51. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and a contrite heart. These, oh God, you will not despise. I'm telling you, if you come to Jesus weeping, he will not push you away. You come to him broken and contrite before him, he will not say sorry. He is going to welcome you. So he's saying there was a brokenness. She was weeping. She was was filled with passion for that. She was, you know, because we cry usually for one of two things, either because we're sad or we're happy. One of the two. Usually, it was sad or happy. We cried, and it could be either one. I believe it was both in this situation. Here's why I believe it was both. I believe she could have been sad for time that was wasted, but I believe she was happy and grateful for hope that had been restored. I think she could have been sad that man, I wasted a lot of time in my sinful life. But I'm weeping with gratitude because now I have a hope for tomorrow. There's times that I'm weeping for both. There's times that I'm sad. God, I've disappointed you. Man, I screwed that up. I've wasted time. I've wasted time. But then I'm thankful because God's not going to cause me to live in that. He wants to give me future and a hope. He wants me to move forward. So I believe that's what was happening in her weeping. Then look what happens after that. She was weeping and she began to wash his feet with her tears. Wash his feet with her tears. And I'm like, Lord, what is this washing his feet? And remember, she's standing behind him. And in this culture, this is Eastern culture, and there's no pavement. These are dirt roads, and they wore sandals. It's a bad combination for clean feet. So picture summertime, dirty feet, sweaty, nasty, odoriferous emanations coming from that area. That's a bad smell for those of you who not know that. <laughs> but so yeah, And she begins to weep over these feet, and she begins to wash his dirty feet with her tears. Water from her body coming out, washing his dirty feet. I'm like, Lord, what are you trying to say there? And this is what he told me. He said, wash, she was w- washing his dirty feet with her tears because the water of his words had washed her dirty heart. I believe somewhere she heard the words of Jesus She heard the teachings of Jesus, and when she heard those words, the washing of water by the word, Ephesians chapter 5, verse 26 says, he might sanctify and cleanse her with the washing of water by the word. I believe somewhere she heard the word of Jesus, and it gave her hope to a sinner that everyone else had rejected her. Everyone else said, this is all you'll ever be. And somewhere those words of Jesus came into her heart and washed her dirty heart so she was willing to wash his dirty feet with her tears because she was grateful for what he had done in her life. She was worshiping him. Such a a powerful expression of worship. Then look what else she goes does. This woman, she's given it all she's got. Again, maybe this isn't your worship experience, but I just want you to understand the passion that's here. As she began to wash his feet with her tears and wipe them with the hair of her head. So now you got this, this dirt and tear combination going on on stanky feet. And you got that whole thing going on. And then she begins to take her hair and wipe that, her nice, clean hair. You know, because you know, they, they had really long hair, and so she could wipe his feet. I'm not talking like 80s big hair. I'm not talking about like that, because, you know, you couldn't, you couldn't wipe 80s big hair. You couldn't wipe Jesus' feet with that, because the Aquanet would have went crazy all up in there. You couldn't. Some of you don't know what Aquanet is, but, man. Anyway, so... She had long hair. And here's two things I think about the hair. Number one, the fact that she took it down speaks of intimacy. Because ladies didn't take down their hair back then for anybody. It was only supposed to be for their spouse. So she took down her hair as she begins to wipe his feet. She was saying, this is an intimate moment. Jesus, this is about you and me. I'm, sh- I'm being vulnerable before you. Powerful expression of intimacy. But the second thing that I think maybe maybe even better than that Second thing that I thought about is that she's taking her hair down in front of other people and she's taking dirty feet and washing. She'd just been to the beautician the day before and she just got, she's taking her dirty hair and she's wiping his feet with her clean hair. That's undignified. That's undignified. I said, Lord, that's, that's a little bit low. That's a little bit, that's undignified to wipe your feet like that. And this is what he told me. He said, She was willing to lose her dignity in worship because he had restored her dignity back to her life. She was willing to lose. See, there's a difference in an external dignity and an internal dignity. And Jesus had restored an internal dignity that she didn't have. And because of that, she was willing to give up her external dignity because she was willing to give away... She's willing to give away her external dignity because Jesus had given her an internal dignity that nobody could take away. Nobody could take away now. They can say you're this, they can say you're that, but Jesus had given her something that nobody could take away. So she was willing to lose her external because she had possessed her internal dignity, dignity. So she's willing, and this is why in our worship, You know, sometimes when you see someone worshiping God and you say, I don't think need to be all that. Be careful. Be careful. You don't know what they've come from. You don't know what they've been through. You don't know what he saved them from. Sometimes some external lack of dignity is an expression of internal dignity restored. Sometimes it's God's done something for me and I can't help myself. I got to say, thank you, Jesus. Because showing up amidst this religious party and all this tears and hair and wiping stuff, that wasn't the norm. Nobody else was doing that. But she did it. Why? Because it was coming from something on the inside of you. This is why I'm saying you've got to make sure when you come in and stand at his feet, you worship him and you give him your worship. You don't worry about what anybody else is doing, whether it's too, too wild or not wild enough. Or what You're not worshiping. You're standing at his feet, and you say, God, I'm going to give you my worship and give you my praise because you're thankful for what he's done for you. You're thankful where he's brought you from. You're thankful that you're saved. You're thankful for the blood. The blood of Jesus has changed my life. Thank you, Jesus. Your words have changed me from the inside out. So she was grateful for that. You know, this, this happened one other time, uh, uh, King David, you maybe have heard this story before, but David, they brought the temple, the, uh, the, te- the phew, yeah, the altar. They brought, brought the altar, the Ark of the Covenant. They brought it, I'll, I'll get it in a minute. They brought all that. It's like going too fast in my head. Brought the, brought the Ark of the Covenant, which is the presence of God. They brought it into the church. Again, trying to use modern day language for you. They brought in the church, and while they were bringing it up, David just danced wildly. The, the Bible says that he shamelessly danced before the Lord, and his wife was a little bit offended, and, and, and she, uh, when he got to her, she said, what, what was all that about you shamelessly worshiping God? It was a little undignified, and David said, I will be even more undignified than this. This is not even the tip of the iceberg compared to, how, compared to how grateful I am for what he's done for me. So I'm telling you, because he took my shame, I can worship him shamelessly because I don't have any. If he's taken my shame, then I'm not going to worry about being ashamed because he's already taken it. This is what David did. So that's, she lost her dignity. I want to go on. Look what else she's doing. She, she begins to now kiss those feet. I'm not sure that they were uh, totally clean of all germs. I'm not sure that they were, you know, that I'm not sure that they had purex on them when she starts kissing his feet. You know, all she's got is tears and hair cleaning it up. So I'm not sure it was totally clean. But she begins to kiss his feet. And anointed them with fragrant oil. She said that kissing is a sign of adoration, a sign of submission, a sign of loyalty. She's saying, Jesus, I make you the Lord. Mwah, mwah, mwah. You are the Lord of my life. She was kissing, saying, I'm gonna give you my heart. That's what, the kiss is a place of honor and adoration. That's what she was giving him in her worship. Now look what the response was. Look at verse 39. Now when the Pharisee <laughs> who had invited him saw all this going on. Now, remember, what the word Pharisee, it's important. The word Pharisee is a, is a word that means a separatist, someone who's separate from or detached from. So he saw all this going on, this Pharisee, and it, he started tripping. Why? Because a Pharisee's life is about being separated from the very people that Jesus wanted to be attached to. The Pharisees were trying to separate from and not touch these people, and Jesus wanted to touch them. They didn't want to touch lepers. You know, Unclean, unclean, don't touch me. And Jesus said, come here, I'm willing, be cleansed. So what they didn't want to touch, Jesus wanted to touch. So I'm just saying, will the church make sure that we have the heart of Jesus, that what the world doesn't want to touch, we're willing to touch. We're willing to touch. We got to reach out and touch them. We got to let them know that, hey, you're never too far from God. Touch him. so. But the religious response was not awesome. You know, we look at verse 38, and the church goes, wow, that's awesome. She's weeping. She's washing his feet and hair, and it's incredible. And the Pharisee was not too happy about it. He invited him. He saw this, and he spoke to himself. Notice he spoke to himself. He didn't say it out loud. You know, you don't want to say this stuff out loud with Jesus there. He spoke to himself. He said, this man, if he were a prophet... He would know who and what manner of woman this is who is touching him, for she is a sinner. Mm -mm -mm. He felt sorry for Jesus. He felt bad for Jesus. I mean, he's like, oh, boy, he just doesn't know. If this guy really knew, I mean, come on. Well, all the while he's feeling bad for Jesus, he should be feeling bad for himself. This is how religion will twist you up. You'll start feeling bad for the wrong thing instead of being convicted about the right thing. You'll start looking at what other people are doing and not paying attention to what you should be doing. You'll start judging what someone else is doing instead of concentrating on what you're... Come on, somebody. See, religion will get you focused on what other people are supposed to do, not do, all of this. And all the while, you're supposed to be at his feet yourself, worshiping him. You should have been right beside her, worshiping her, worshiping Jesus with her. But all you're doing is analyzing what she's doing, what she's not doing. And God's saying, hey, get your eyes off of other people and get your eyes on Jesus, looking unto him, the author and finisher of your faith. I mean, judging what other people should or shouldn't be doing. Where are you at, Simon? Why aren't you worshiping me? Well, I'm just judging how she's worshiping. Well, you get yourself down beside her and you don't have room to be looking at her. I improvised a little bit of that, but that's just what I'm saying. So he, he says, what manner of woman, what manner of woman this is for she's a sinner. What manner of woman, what kind of woman, this woman had been labeled this woman had been labeled as a sinner. She'd been labeled as a certain type of sinner. And I, I want to talk to some people real quickly that's received a label in your life that you're having trouble getting rid of. I want to talk to somebody who's some, through sin or some activity, something you've done, a label has been stuck on you and you've not been able to get rid of it. Every time you try to get rid of it, it's like a sticker on a glass. You leave a label on something long enough and you try and peel it off, what happens? Part of that sticker stays on it. You ever tried to do that? That you try, it's been on there so long that when you try and peel, you know, you're trying real easy. I just made really easy. Ah, half of it stays on there. Well, that's what happens with people in sinful life. That label gets stuck on them, and they want to turn their life around. They want to make a difference. They want to change, but for some reason, whenever they try and take that label off, it sticks. But I want you to know if you will apply the blood of Jesus, it is the ultimate label remover. I don't know what you've done. I don't know where you've been, what your history is, what your reputation is. But if you will invite Jesus into your life, all labels come off in the family of God. All labels got to come off. So now this guy, remember this is in church though. This is a religious leader in church and he was not willing to look beyond her label. So church, we got to make sure that when someone comes in, you don't listen to what other people have labeled them before you ask the, the, the Savior what he's labeled them. Oh, Lord Jesus. Sometimes people come in, and we know somebody that knows them, and they tell us, here's their story, da-da-da. And we begin to go by the label that someone else gave us instead of the one that Jesus gave them. Because sometimes Jesus wants to give a different label to them, and you need to speak according to his label and not according to someone else's label. You know how you put your name tag on your shirt, and, and they call you that? Well, hers was called Sinner. It's my name. Put in tame. Ask me again, I'll tell you the same. Sinner, right? Well, Jesus didn't see sinner. He saw a daughter. Simon saw sinner. Jesus saw daughter. So which label are you going to identify people by? They've got a scarlet A on their chest. Is that what you're going to see? Or are you going to see son or daughter? Got drug addict. Three-time felon. That's what they are. They're a felon. Do you see felon or do you see son or daughter? Label, label. We got to welcome. We got to make sure this is what we're opening our arms up to what Jesus wants to do. So she, he said she's a sinner. But, but notice where the sinner is. This is why I want to say if a person is a sinner, she's in the right place. She's in the presence of a savior. So it's a great place for a sinner to be. So I'm saying to us, we want to welcome anyone who's far from God. We want to welcome them in. They're in the right place. They're in a place where they can meet the Savior. I'm not going to do anything for you, but Jesus is going to do something for you. If you'll invite him into your life, Chad cannot help you, but Jesus can help you. This is the power of what this invitation will do. But, but notice something in this story. Everyone else, the Pharisees, Simon, and all of his buddies, they were all in the same presence of the same Savior, but it did not impact them like it impacted her. Why is that? There's one reason, one word that jumped out to me in verse 39. This man, if he were a prophet, would know who and what manner of woman this is who is touching him, for she's a sinner. All of them were in the same presence of the same Savior, but only one of them was touching him. I'm not talking about touching him like high five. I'm not touching him like greeting him a handshake when he walked in the door. I'm talking about woman with the issue of blood kind of touching him. That the woman with the issue of blood said, if I can just touch the hem of his garment, I will be healed. So Jesus, surrounded by all these people, you know, everybody's around him is this flock of people, and all of a sudden he stops and says, whoa, 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 who touched me? Who touched me? And the disciples go, Jesus, like, everybody's touching you? So what are you talking about? He said, no, 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 somebody touched me because I felt power go out of me somebody pulled something out of me. That's what, how this woman touched him. Everybody else might have been touching him like, hey, good to see you, Jesus. Thanks for coming over. But she was touching him in a way that it was impacting her on the inside. And I'm just saying, Jesus wants you to touch him. Not just come to church and not just be in a service, be a part of a service. This is why you can be in a service and not impacted and someone else, their life is totally changed. Why? Because they touched him. I'm telling you, it's, one of, it's been one of the biggest things. If I'd be totally transparent, it's one of the biggest battles I've had to face in ministry, one of, is to have a service and have all kinds of different reactions. Some people say, well, I was just kind of dead. There was just no anointing on that. And have other people that their life is wrecked and changed. And I'm like, Lord, so which one am I supposed to go with? He says, go with me. Go with me. Don't go by the reaction of people. And this is why you can be in the presence, you can be in a church service, but never get the impact of it because you don't reach out and touch him. Other people around you touching him, other people around you greatly impact you. are like, what is it? What's the difference? Why, why am I not feeling anything? Maybe you need to reach out and touch him. Maybe you need to invite him into your house. Maybe you need to invite him over because look what happens. Let me finish with this part. So she touched him and, and so, you know, Simon had said, you know, if you knew what kind of woman this was touching you, you wouldn't want to touch him. But verse 40, so Jesus answered and said to him, Simon, I have something to say to you. He said, go on, Jesus, say it. He said, there was a certain creditor who had two debtors. One owed 500 denarii and another 50. And when they had nothing with which to repay, check that part out. When they had nothing with with which to repay, he freely forgave them both. Tell me therefore, which of them will will love him more? Simon answered and said, "I, I suppose the one whom he forgave more. And he said to him, you have rightly judged. Here's the story, here's the parable Jesus threw out there. There's two people that owed money to a creditor. One of them owed 500 denarii, 10 times more than another person who owned 50. Well, the, the people, the players in the story, is Simon and the woman. The woman represents the person who owed 500, and Simon represents the one who owned 50, because in his mind, he was not near as bad a sinner as this woman. But the Bible says in this parable, it says that the, that the creditor, the one that they owed the money to, freely forgave them both because they had nothing to repay. Whether you're a 50 denarii sinner or a 500 denarii sinner, the debt is the same. There's nobody in the eyes of God that without Jesus, our debt is the same. Whether you was raised in church and went to church your whole life, or whether you've been a drug addict and, and a porn addict and whatever else, all, you may have all kinds of things, you think you've got the worst life possible, you're the worst sinner in the world, it doesn't matter which end of the spectrum, neither one is able to pay the debt that we owe to God. Neither one, I don't care how good a person you are, I am not good enough to pay back my debt that I owe to Jesus. But Jesus paid the price. He paid a debt he did not owe because I owed a debt that I couldn't pay. I couldn't pay it. I would never be good enough. And I'm telling you whether you think you're a 50 or a 500, you're the same. We all need the blood of Jesus applied to our life. So it says he freely forgave them both. So the message to you and I is that we are free of charge. Our debt has been paid in full by Jesus. All we have to do is receive that forgiveness. All we have to do is invite him into our house, invite him into our life, and he will have an impact on our situation. So I want us to pray today, but I want you to ask yourself, I want you to put yourself in the position of this story. I want you to ask yourself, am I more like Simon or more like the woman? And I believe there's gonna be both that's here or watching this, Some people are going to fit more with Simon, and they realize that they've stopped bringing their own oil to the worship service. They realize that they've kind of gotten a little bit too saved, if you know what I mean, and they've forgotten where they came from. They've forgotten what the blood did for them, and they've become ungrateful. They've become to a place, this is what happens, you've been in church for a little while, here's the temptation. The the temptation is that you get so familiar and so accustomed with church that you forget the passion that you're supposed to have for the Savior. You forget where he brought you from. You've been good now. I say good in quotes. You've been good for so long that you forget what you were like without Jesus. And a sinner comes in, freshly saved, and they're pouring their heart out, their tears and wiping with hair and all that. And you're standing there like, I don't see what the big deal is. Maybe God's wanting to touch your heart to remind you reminds you what he did for you. That whether you think you're a 50 denarii sinner or a 500 denarii sinner, he paid your debt either way. You have no debt because what Jesus did. So I want you to put yourself in that category. I want us to pray, if you just bow your heads with me. I want to pray first for the 50 denarii situation. I want to pray for fresh oil. This is for people that are followers of Jesus just for whatever reason, either intentional, unintentional, you just feel like you've lost your oil. You feel like you've gotten to a place where you're criticizing what others are or aren't doing instead of being at his feet yourself and focusing on worshiping him. You kind of got out of focus for a little bit and, and you got your eyes on the wrong thing and it's kind of brought you down because I'm telling you criticism will steal your joy. Being critical of others will steal, you, steal from you and rob your joy and passion for Jesus. So I wanna pray for that. I, I just pray if, you, if you're in that situation, you need your joy restored for serving Jesus, I want you to take a, moment, a minute right now and I want you to receive it. I want you to ask him. Maybe you need to ask for forgiveness. Say, God, I've taken for granted. I've taken church for granted. I've taken my Bible for granted. I've taken prayer for granted. Lord, whatever it is, I wanna to listen to you. I want you to speak to me. I want my joy restored, I want fresh oil in my life. Father, I pray for that now in the name of Jesus. I pray that everyone listening to my voice, they will see themselves through your eyes. They will see themselves through the blood of Jesus and realize that we are nothing without you, but with you, with you we can be restored to a right relationship. Thank you, Lord, that labels can be taken off and removed people dealing with condemnation, dealing with your past, and you just can't seem to get past what you've done. I want you to apply the blood of Jesus. Say, Jesus, I apply the blood to my life, to my label. I want that label gone. That's not who I am. That's not who I want to be. I want to move forward. I want a fresh start with God. Today I want to make a change. Just ask him to come in. Invite him into your home. You say, Chad, I'm. I'm not the 50 50 denarii sinner, I'm I'm the 500. I'm so far away, I, I don't know what to do. I've done some really bad things. The Bible says that he freely forgave them both. Freely. Whether you're 500 or whether you're 50, your debt is paid through Jesus.